values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate it, as always, when you spend some time with the show. President Biden's approval rating has fallen again, according to our Reuters Ipsos poll. Um, and there are a couple of headlines about the border I want to read and, and why I believe part of the reason why the president remains very, uh, very low in the polls, unpopular. Um, I don't think it's his political party. I think the American people largely look at the president of the United States. They vote along party lines. But the country looks at the president as the face of the nation. And when they feel like they are being listened to and represented, presidents are usually popular. Um, we know that uh, in spite of troubles that presidents have on both sides of the political aisle, that uh, the American people remain loyal to the president. And for a number of reasons, presidents get reelected more often than not. But uh, here's a headline. Florida Keys migrant landings continue. Up to 150 Cubans arrived since Wednesday. Um, there used to be a rule. It was the wet foot, dry foot rule. I've talked about it quite a bit. I grew up in South Florida, so this has been a big part of my life. And some of the people that I cherish most in my life are Cuban, um, from Cuba, Mariel Cubans that came during the Carter administration. But beyond that, there has been a rule in America called the wet foot, dry foot rule, where if uh, you were from Cuba and you could make it to the shores of the United States and land and set foot on dry ground, you were given you were uh, you were given asylum, that there wasn't this hearing that just based on the fact that you were escaping the communism on the island of Cuba, that you uh, got asylum. That is no longer the assumption. And there are many Cubans that are returned back to the island of Cuba. We normalized relations with Cuba for reasons I don't understand. And for the purposes of this, it's really not important, but that's what's happened. Um, uh, how do the Mexican drug cartels, how the Mexican drug cartels came to dominate the American fentanyl supply? And this is a Wall Street Journal story. Um, uh, it is uh, at a half-built house in a barrio, a longtime Sinaloa cartel employee used a shovel to mix chemicals in a simmering oil barrel. And it goes on to chronicle how the cartels have become enriched and empowered by taking over the fentanyl market, not just in our country, but around the world. Um, the violence in Mexico and what's gone on there. Um, and last week, Corinne Jean-Pierre um, were arguing about uh, what's happening at the border. And I want you to hear this again because she makes a claim that I, I don't think – I don't know if she meant to say it this way, but she's talking about people walking across the border that are unvaccinated. This was an argument about vaccines and why um, – Novak Djokovic, uh, Djokovic has to stay in his country and can't play tennis in the U.S., but people are just crossing our border and are given asylum claims and, and hearings, but they don't have to be vaccinated. So this is, was kind of the back and forth. So how is it two different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated. They're allowed to stay. But, Why? But that's not how it works. Yeah. Like we actually, no. I know that that's not what you guys want to happen, but that's that is what, ha- what is happening. But that's not, it's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> that's not, that's, that's not exactly how. exactly what's happening. We, well, Thousands of people are walking in a day. Some of them turn themselves over. Some of them are caught. Tens of thousands a week are not. That is what is happening. So now the Daily Caller is a website I go to fairly often. Uh, the Daily Caller News Foundation, one of their reporters has got now video of people just walking around the border wall. Um, there is a big problem at our southern border, 
And we're going to talk more specifically about uh, uh, guns again, I believe, a little bit later on. But how this connects is the president of the United States gave a speech denouncing gun ownership for many people in the U.S. And, you know, when I, I got a, I have a, I love the interactions on Facebook. I got a, a, a response or a message from somebody on Facebook that says, I'm an independent voter and I don't understand why Republicans keep saying the Democrats want to take their guns. Joe Biden said that he wants to take my AR-15 from me. He said that. He, he made he made that very clear in an interview. And uh, so they do. They do want to not only stop the sale of those rifles, and they, somehow they believe those rifles are worse than others, and it, it, it's just not true. But the belief that somehow that by doing that is going to stop crime, and it's never going to do that. That's the, that's the whole point of this. The whole point of this conversation is if you disarm me, you have not made this anybody safer. Certainly not me. You've made it more dangerous for me. Because as history has proven, criminals don't care about your laws. I'll give you an example. We know that there are people out there that deal drugs, and I'm talking about prescription drugs, that they are either uh, they are either muled out of the manufacturer or they're stolen from somewhere and they're sold on the streets, that people sell uh, prescription drugs. So then why don't we get rid of – let's get rid of Oxycontin. Let's get rid of Percocet or Darvocet because then – People won't be overdosing on Percocet or Darvocet. And there are people out there that say, you know what? Opioids are dangerous. But when they're used the right way, they're an effective tool in pain management. And just because some people abuse them, just because some people go out of their way to abuse them and even overdose on them, it's the same principle. Now, people won't see it as the same because medication has a good side, but people that just don't like guns say there is no good side to a gun. Guns are meant to injure and kill. Therefore, by nature, they are bad. Well, it depends on whose hands they are in. Go back to the forming of this country. We hail them as heroes, the revolutionaries that through the tea at the Boston Tea Party and also the people that stood their ground and forged an army and forged a nation was done with weapons i i've been to the the beaches in in normandy i've been to o- omaha beach i've been to utah beach i've been point to hawk i've been to these legendary locations where the allied soldiers stormed the beaches and saved the europe for sur- for sure but the entire world from world war ii beginning that day in d-day and what's happened also on the pacific front and um that was men at the time, only men, but that was men with firearms, just as dangerous, just as deadly, just as bad as their enemies possessed. It mattered whose hands they were in. And the idea that we should only have cops with guns sounds great, sounds terrific. But why would cops need guns if guns were illegal? Because criminals are still going to have them. This is my problem with this argument. It's emotionally based. And to say that we're going to not sell these guns anymore and you think that's going to stop bad people from having them, I can tell you from uh, pictures I've seen, video I've seen, and stories I've been told by men and women in law enforcement, especially people that are in uh, the DEA, drug enforcement, um, that during a time when Americans weren't allowed to buy assault rifles, the assault weapons ban, every time they busted a major drug dealer or even a, a, a small-time drug dealer, when they busted these drug dealers, what did they find? AR-15 rifles. They found semi-automatic rifles. So the average American citizen was no longer able to buy them. 
but they were everywhere in the criminal world. And that's going to remain. We should focus on the criminals, not the weapons they use. And that's what the president did in his speech. Um, and, and the border stuff that's happening is just, to me, is just another side to this. The failures at our southern border have to everything to do with this president's policy. And I think that's one of the reasons why he remains unpopular, is that the American people see it as a problem. They won't even acknowledge it as a crisis. In a moment, we shift back to the economy. Um, some good news for the town of Gilbert and other places in the East Valley as more businesses are coming here. And our governor traveling to Taiwan to focus on chip manufacturing. We'll get on all of that coming up in just a moment. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. See, now I'm disappointed when that song plays. I think we're going to have Kristen Bentz on the air. We call her the Blonde Reaper. And uh, and so uh, uh, that song reminds me of her. But this is a perfect timing to talk about this because she is one of the people that has been um, advising me on what's happening and why. And uh, so let's go to a couple of good things. Let's start with the good news. Uh, Governor Ducey travels to Taiwan, Korea on a trade mission as Arizona grows its semiconductor industry. Um one of the phrases I use about economic growth is intentional growth. And I think for businesses, and I will tell you for my business, from my own personal perspective, to be 100% transparent, um, I wish I had used that term in my own life. I wish I had had intentional growth in my business, and I didn't. Um, I grew too fast. I uh, made big mistakes, and it cost me a lot of money. Um, I had gotten a $50,000 mortgage on my house, and I just kind of didn't manage the growth. I didn't do it the right way. It wasn't targeted. It was a business mistake, and I grew too big too fast. And what could have been and should have been, and I'm, I'll, I'll be very, I'm going to tell you, I was very grateful. And looking back, I don't ever have regrets. Um, the transition at the time, I didn't know it was coming, but the transition was coming for my life from a contractor into the radio industry, which I absolutely love. I've never loved anything like I love doing this. But as my time as a contractor, it was a good feeling to be a contractor. I loved being able to see the fruits of my labor and the guys that worked with me on a daily basis. But I did not have intentional growth, which is why I learned a valuable lesson from that. Intentional growth is uh, you control the speed of it. You control what direction it goes. It doesn't control you. And my growth controlled me. Um, and here in the state of Arizona, we learned our lesson when the market crashed or the real estate market crashed. And we saw um, the construction market was such a big part of the Arizona economy that when that happened, it destabilized the state of Arizona. The hard work of former Governor Jan Brewer, the hard work of the legislature back then with very difficult decisions to stop the bleeding of what was happening then really stabilized Arizona. And then as the Ducey administration came in, they were able to look at what had happened and fix it with intentional growth. We now have manufacturing coming here. As a matter of fact, um, According Incorporated will build a $100 million fiber cabling factory in Gilbert that will employ 250 people and help AT&T deploy high-speed Internet access to companies. Uh, this was announced yesterday. Um, 
It is great news that we have intentional growth in high-paying industries you know, in Arizona. The intentional growth in Arizona that was started years ago, we are seeing the fruits of that now. The fact that the governor is focusing on the, the semiconductor industry, which is shifting because we've seen now after COVID-19, even if it's not a national security issue and the countries that are building these chips for us, you know, with what's going on in Taiwan and their battle for, with China, um, and I don't mean physical battle, but the, the battle between between them and China that uh, destabilized Taiwan where we get so many of our chips from where they are able to come now and build semiconductor plants here where it's built on American soil is a national security issue or if it's a supply chain issue because of COVID-19 how many automobile manufacturers were in big trouble I told the story of ordering a buying and paying cash for a jacuzzi in October during COVID I didn't get that jacuzzi until March now I'm certainly not crying that that's my poor me COVID story that would be a little harsh, but I'm just saying I I know what it meant to these companies, and I'm talking more about the people that sold me the jacuzzi than anything else. That industry, how everything was on hold. They couldn't get the parts to manufacture the goods. So having that that world come here matters. Um, The big chip plant that's being built in the Northwest Valley up near the Carefree Highway, uh, out by the 303 and I-17. What that is going to do for the value of property around there and the building of homes and then other businesses around there is going to be immense. And that is great news. Nationwide, we are seeing a slowing of the job market. That in August, there were a smaller number of jobs uh, created. That we are seeing slowing with hiring. Uh, We have gotten word that Bed Bath & Beyond is closing 150 stores. Um, Is this an indicator of a slowdown. Well, it, first of all, it's a bad time for it. We know that school supplies, people are waiting for deals. They're not spending money like they were. We know that the cost of food is going to continue to rise. We've been told that by manufacturers, food mag, food growers, and everyone else that food supply is still going to remain very expensive. So it's going to take some time for an adjustment in the American economy. But how bad will it get? And that depends on the response from the American government. And my political beliefs, and this is where that plays in, is to burden anybody in the American public now with taxation or regulation, new taxation or new regulation. I don't care what sector of the economy it is. When the United States Treasury is still taking in record revenue. The punish the rich attitude is punish America, not just the rich. Everybody gets punished. Timing is bad. Plan is bad. And it's not going to dig us out of this hole. It's going to dig us deeper. It is going to dig us deeper. And that's just the way I believe that it's going to happen. What we're going to do in a moment is uh, a story that's been going on for years and years and years here in the Valley and the town of Gilbert possibly getting light rail extended into the town of Gilbert. What the town is saying, and it's going to remind you of some stories you've heard from some other people, but it's an important one. Public transportation is a part of a big valley and a necessary piece of of the transportation puzzle. But should Gilbert be open to the idea of an expansion of light rail? I'll tell you why this is important next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Want to talk about a local story, and and uh, I want to tell you again. I try to admit my biases, so you know where I'm coming from on the outset of this. But I was.
Uh, never a big fan of the light rail as it was built. I am a fan of public transportation. If you go to New York, it's an amazing place to go. You can get anywhere. Most people don't have cars. Um, I lived for a summer with a friend in Staten Island. And we would take a bus to a train, to a ferry, to the subway to get into Manhattan. And uh, it was just a great way to travel. I get it. And we're years, we're decades and decades away from being anything close to that. I, I believe in public transportation. But I think the light rail was a huge mistake as it was built. First of all, it drives on the very same streets the buses are on. How is that helping traffic? It isn't. It isn't at all. Um, it is on the very same roads. As a matter of fact, it goes down the middle of the road. So you got to make U-turns. You can't make lefts. You can't do a, a lot of different things wherever you need to in the street where you can in other places. And I say this because when it's been expanded and people wanted expansions of it and the government was pushing expansions of it because we're getting all this federal money to help pay for it. How do we not take the money? Um, the people in South Phoenix had, an, had a, a group of citizens called Four Lanes, No Trains. They wanted nothing to do with light rail down Central into South Phoenix. Why? Because they saw what it did to Central when they built it in the first place. Central Avenue through downtown Phoenix was a disaster. Going back then, the mayor then was Phil Gordon. And uh, the mayor, they had a uh, they had a website that they produced called Shop the Line. This was before Internet online shopping was so popular. And the businesses along Central, many of them that had been there for decades, starved to death and closed because you couldn't get down Central while they were doing construction. And so they said, Shop the Line, please go to this website, please buy their stuff, please support these these businesses. So the people in 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 uh, South Phoenix, said, we don't want anything to do with light rail. Nothing. And they did it anyway. They're getting light rail in South Phoenix. Um, I could tell you uh, all of the complaints I have about light rail, um, and public transportation in Arizona and the Valley in general, but um, no need. I, I just want you to know where I'm coming from. Despite clamor, council insists no rail for Gilbert. Gilbert Town Council is being asked to ban the use of municipal resources toward furthering commuter and light rail in any shape, form, as or, or form as residents continue to show up in force at meetings with claims that the trains would increase crime and bring homelessness and destroy the quality of life. That's the other part of this. If you listen to this show for any length of time, I am very sympathetic and work on stopping homelessness and volunteering and bringing recognition uh, to groups that do such a great job in serving the homeless community and trying to end it. That being said, that's the other issue with this. There is no oversight. It's very difficult to oversee what happens on there. There is no ticketing that of any consequence. You can get on the train without a ticket is what I'm saying. So unless a police officer happens to be on the train, they aren't even checking if you have a ticket. So the concern is homeless people are getting from place to place in the city on the light rail. And so it is uh, a little bit dangerous for people sometimes. So the people of Gilbert say we don't want it. And they shouldn't be forced to have it if they don't want it. Um, let's talk about another part of public transportation where dollars should be going. How many of you driving to work on surface streets in all over the valley are in the right-hand lane at an intersection, and in front of you is a bus. And when you watch that bus cross the light, what do they do? They stop to pick up or stop to drop off people. No bus pullouts in many locations, which means on a two-lane road, you're taking up 50% of the travel lanes during rush hour traffic. Why are we not building bus pullouts? 
for buses to get out of the way so that traffic can continue down the road. We never did that. Our light rail stops are a half a mile apart, not a quarter of a mile like bus stops, a half a mile apart. There's no shade. There's no water. There's no facilities. There's none of those things. They have to stop at traffic lights. They do stop. They do tie up traffic. And I, so it, to me, it's a disaster the way it was built. I'm a fan of public transportation. I would take public transportation a lot more, and I've been on the light rail. I've taken the light rail from where it first was originally at 19th Avenue and Bethany Home. I've ridden it all the way to the end in Mesa and back. I've done it a couple of times. I have actually used it to go to events in downtown Phoenix. This is the other part of the disaster that is light rail. The one place that it is absolutely viable and useful is for ASU students going from Tempe campus to the downtown campuses in downtown Phoenix. Or if you are someone that's going to go to an ASU football game or basketball game, you can park somewhere and ride the light rail in, ride the light rail out to go back to your car. Great ways to travel, right? If you're going to go to an event in downtown Phoenix where the Suns are playing or the Diamondbacks are playing, you're going to go see a a, a concert or a play or something. Except it's the only part where light rail in downtown Phoenix, where it's separated by, what, a half a mile, if not a quarter of a mile, and if not a half a mile, a quarter of a mile, Jefferson and Washington. It travels east on Jefferson and west on Washington. So that means in order for you to get off that light rail in the downtown stops where you would go to a Suns game or a concert there or you would go to a Diamondbacks game or a concert there or an event there. Either way, you're either walking a quarter mile to get to your event or you're walking it to get back. It's going to be 110 degrees today. So the one area of town where you would think that that thing would get the most business is the one place in town where it's separated by a quarter to a half a mile. I mean, who designed this? Who designed this train and said that this is going to help traffic in Phoenix? It doesn't help traffic in Phoenix. It hinders it. Driving down Camelback Road between Central and 19th Avenues used to be an easy commute, an easy transit. It isn't anymore. It's a nightmare. And I'll tell you, I'm, I am a big fan of public transportation. But if I were Gilbert and I watched what happened to downtown Phoenix in the construction and what it did to the businesses during construction, I'd be terrified of what it would do to downtown Gilbert. If, and they call it growing pains. Well, it's only a growing pain to you unless you have one of those businesses that's starving. South Phoenix didn't want it. South Phoenix didn't want it. There were a number of ways they could have done this differently, and they didn't do it. They did it – I think they did it in – the design of this is disastrous. And now Gilbert is saying we don't want it. And again, municipalities, these towns shouldn't have to. They've got bus service if you want to take public transportation. We now have the advent of the rideshare programs where it's very inexpensive for many people to get to where they want to go if they do a rideshare program. Waymo is just starting their riderless car things right now. Why are we spending billions of dollars on transportation? to nowhere. And and then for the the people that use it, if you're an ASU student, by the way, I don't I I believe ASU students still get to ride it for free as a part of their tuition. They're paying for it in their tuition and their student fees. It it, it is uh it, it's a disaster. And it was designed inappropriately. There is no management of tickets as I said, and I I don't blame Gilbert at all for saying we don't want this train. Don't blame them at all.
In a moment, we've got an update about COVID-19 because the Arizona Attorney General is suing Tucson over a vaccine mandate. So we're going to talk about how whether that is still a relevant thing. I didn't realize we still had mandates uh, for a lot of people here in Arizona. We'll talk about what's happening around the country with that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. As always, we appreciate you spending some time with us on the show. I want you to hear a couple of updates. Um, here is why why Attorney General Mark Burnovich is suing Tucson about their COVID-19 vaccine mandates. According to the AG, the civil rights lawsuit against the city is over its mandatory COVID-19 vaccination requirements. The AG claims the city violated Arizona law and discriminated against Tucson employees who requested religious accommodations or disability based medical exemptions to the city's vaccine mandate. This is where, uh, again, we talk about shifting and moving along with the science and understanding the science. And what we found out about the vaccine and its lack uh, lack of efficacy based on the strain that happens to be out there, that it is not preventing the spread of COVID-19, that in many times they're saying that it diminishes the um, the severity, but they are not and no longer are they saying that it guarantees that you're not going to get COVID-19. I want to go to the other side of this coin. There was a police detective in New York that sued to say that the police department cannot force me to get a vaccine that was what he called experimental and illegal and that they cannot force him to get a vaccine. Well, who stepped in? Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor has denied an appeal from a, a New York police department detective who has been fighting against New York City's COVID vaccine mandate. Detective Anthony Marciano currently has a lawsuit actually pending against the city in a federal appeals court. His lawyer petitioned for the injunction last week while the case is being resolved. Uh, Marciano is part of a group of employees who didn't qualify for a medical or a religious exemption for getting the uh, COVID shots, but still refused to get vaccinated. Along with uh, very well-known professional athletes whose incomes have been damaged severely because they refused to take the vaccine. Um, I want to give you an update on this because, first of all, we, we again, we're supposed to change with the science. We see what the science has told us about the vaccine. Um, I am vaccinated and boosted. And I'll be very honest with you. Had I known then what I know now, I might not have. Um, I have never taken a flu shot because I was never worried about dying from the flu. And so I've never gotten the flu shot. And when we find out that it's not much difference in its in its ability to prevent illness, then I don't know that I would have. But looking at the numbers, we have gone another week, another week where the numbers of deaths of people under the age of 20 is zero. Um, it's, it's months since a young person has died from COVID-19. We're very thankful for that. Um, the highest number, 73% of deaths that were recorded this week, 67 of those, 67 people died, 49 of them people over the age of 65. Um, since the beginning of the tracking of COVID-19, the way it is, whether you died of COVID or with COVID, I don't know how these numbers are tracked, but during the tracking of COVID-19, 68 people under the age of 20 have died from COVID-19 or with COVID-19. 
There have been over 22,000 over the age of 65. Yet, we continue to push vaccines for kids. We continue to push masks for in schools. And we continue to do these things to young people because we can control young people. The older people among us make up 16% of the cases that were reported this week, 52% of the hospitalizations, and 73% of the deaths. I, I will just keep shouting those numbers because we continue to say we're learning from the science and things are changing. And, and I, I know that that's true. Uh, I, we've been through viruses and pandemics and, and things of that nature before. And you do, as you learn more, you change how you do things. But the idea that the city of Tucson is still going to force people to get vaccinated with the data we now have on vaccines, it's not a strong recommendation. It's not any, it, it, it is a mandate. And what we're seeing in professional sports, and then you compare that. We talked about the border earlier, um, the complete hypocrisy of our federal government. And, and this hypocrisy is 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 so blatant. Um, the issue in our country about COVID-19 and their concerns about it, and yet hundreds of thousands of people cross into our country illegally. And then they cross into our country and they are allowed to stay because of the asylum program and the process of being adjudicated. None of them are forced to get vaccinated to stay here. But if you go get a legal visa to come to America, if you are an essential worker that comes to this country to work on a visa or if you're a professional athlete um, like Djokovic, you have to abide by a rule that says if you're not fully vaccinated, we won't let you in. Now, even the most litigious person out there, I should say legalistic person out there when it comes to vaccines that believes that vaccines are the only way to cure this and you should get vaccinated. It's the right thing for you to do as a citizen. How do you reconcile? How do you reconcile that a person with a visa that is doing it the right way, according to American laws coming into this country? has to be fully vaccinated and boosted before they're allowed in. But people that aren't citizens of this country that are applying for asylum by crossing the border illegally have no such requirement. Same administration, same federal oversight, same rulemakers, two sets of rules. How do you reconcile those two things? And I don't know how you can. This is why when it comes to COVID-19, all of my friends, the anti-maskers, the anti-vaxxers look more and more right every day. Every day they look more and more right about the predictions of the vaccine, that it wasn't going to work as well as they said. Nothing prevents this virus from spreading. And anyone out there that believes that they never said that, you're lying to yourself because, yes, they did. They told us and I was told the same thing. It prevents the spread of COVID-19. And it just didn't. And it hasn't. And now we still got these lawsuits coming up just after 11 o'clock. The gun control conversation. The president gives a major speech on gun control in Pennsylvania. You'll hear part of it next.